0: Hello everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of The Rodcast, I'm your host Emily Beatty McMullen and this week I'm joined by
1: Griffin Camacho.
0: Mr. Griffin Camacho, the man with the voice for radio has come to be your radio co-host for a week, hopefully more than a week, we'll hopefully. see. Um, so yeah, this week we're continuing our series of tableside chats. chats, well, that's uh, what I'm calling this series we're doing that's a little more informal, a little more laid back, um, just sort of the two of us talking about whatever we think about for the topic. Uh, And the last two weeks you heard Seth and I talk about challenging music and the ways that our careers can be challenging, performance, teaching, collaboration, all those things can be challenging. Uh, And so this week we're starting brand brand new, starting over with something different, which is novelty in music. Everyone we
1: to talk about a bunch of novels. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no? exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I kinda feel like we need a, um, like a laptop with a fireplace under it. It's like c- yes. c- a tableside fire yeah. Chad, Welcome ladies and gentlemen. Yes.
0: If we if we had a fireplace in our office, I would want that to be the backdrop, but.
1: Okay, Rodman, we need that. Uh, let's expand. Yes. Ready? I'm ready. Yes,
0: Rodman, um, uh, I want that on our next budget. Yep. I wanna see a uh, fireplace expansion. <laughs> um, but anyways, so, so yeah, novelty in music. So what are you, what are your immediate thoughts?
1: Um, novelty. I, I, I feel like, um, I'm getting like, you know, flashbacks to college where like they, they, they make you write vague essays on topics like this yes, and you just that have to are be, so like, over on. be like novelty. Um, Beethoven had novelty because uh he thought about fate mm-hmm. and because of fate <laughs> yes. that is beethoven and there you go uh, yeah
0: yes okay well yeah so so before we started you asked like well what is novelty? Yeah, well, I'm what like is, well novelty? well yeah great question let's talk about it so novelty when i think of the word novelty i'm thinking well it comes from a latin root that means new so novel is new and like a novel idea is a new idea that you hadn't oh, thought of before okay, that okay, kind of thing yeah. so novelty i think it has to do with something being different or special extraordinary in some way, Um, especially eye catching because it's different. And um, I think in music, we can talk about a lot of different things, whether they're new, whether they're really different, because you've heard a million times that nothing in music is actually new. Everything's been recycled. Everything's been taken, torn apart, put back together, reused in a new way. And so there's nothing really new anymore.
1: I would say with that. Mm -hmm. When people always say that, and there definitely is – there are composers nowadays who made, like, say, beautiful musicals. I won't say the composer's name, but Mm -hmm. uh, most of the stuff is copied. Mm -hmm. But I would say not even copied in the fact that I think music is such an evolutionary thing Mm. that I think you can take bits and pieces from stuff because the fabric of music is – just a part of human nature and it's just like mm-hmm. human evolution is that music evolves and we have to take stuff from our past mm-hmm. and so even if it's not brand spanking new i think it still can be considered new even if it takes 90 percent of stuff from something mm-hmm. in the past if you have 10 percent where you added something mm. i think that can be considered new
0: yeah i i think that's a great i think that's a great thought obviously i agree with the idea that you can create something new in music. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have picked this. No, well, I'll right? get you Um I uh, so, so I guess I'm taping my hand a bit, or really just saying what I think, which is, yeah, I think it's it's totally possible to reuse material that's all been done before and create something new. I think of it as, instead of like, you're checking boxes and at a certain point, all the musical boxes have been checked and you can't do anything new. Instead, I kind of think of it more like a deck of cards where with a deck of cards, yeah, each card you've seen before. A lot, (laughs) you know, there's only 52 cards in a deck of cards. So we've seen them all a million times. But when it comes to different orders that you can shuffle that deck into, there's like more possibilities than there are like stars in the universe. So there's, there's so there's so many different ways you could shuffle a deck of cards. Like, and I think the same is true with music, even though elements of music, we can repeat and we can reuse things like specific chords chord progressions maybe specific synth sounds or something like that we can those specific elements yeah we can reuse them a lot and we've heard them before but the combination and putting everything together in a new way i think there's basically unlimited possibilities yeah. for stuff like that with well, music
1: and i would say so definitely with music so if, if you go to like an art museum you see it you see art and people I I used to think it was like, man, why do people always go back to the same art museum, see the same art over and over again? Is it because they just love it? That could be a possibility. But there are some times that you look at something like, oh, I never saw that. I never noticed that little thing. And I think the the fun thing about music is that um, people can see or hear something different from some symphony or song or whatever that they've heard a million times over. You know, I mean, I, I can't remember what the exact detail was, but I was listening to Johnny Cash and the Highwayman the other day, the song I listened to a billion times, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, that sounds good. What was that? And it's just like, it's just brand new. And I think that's a powerful thing about music is that there are so many intricacies, definitely classical music. There's so many harmonies and different things attached to it that you may not hear it on the hundredth time. And the hundred and one, you're like, oh, I never heard that before. And the thing is, is that every single performance that someone performs the music, it's different every single time, unless you need to listen to the same exact recording a hundred times. But if you go to your 101th performance of, you know, Beethoven's concert or whatever, uh, one of his symphonies, uh, the viola could play something a little more out, and you're like, oh, I've never heard that before, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it's new. So I think that's a cool part about music.
0: Yeah, well, and... For a long time, that was how everybody consumed music, was every time you heard a piece of music, it was going to be different because there was no such thing as a recording. Which is kind of cool. We don't get yeah, that, yeah. honestly. We, we don't get to have that experience anymore unless you're someone that, like, literally avoids all recorded music. And That's kind of hard. That, that's, like, almost impossible. But if you're someone that does that, props to you, I I guess. I don't know. You're kind of missing out, but also good for you? I don't know.
1: Well, like, I, I'll even say... um, I'll even say that I like uh, albums, live studio, like live mm-hmm. audience albums. Like yeah. I I love basic stuff, but like I'll listen to a lot of um, – albums where they recorded it. Okay, so Johnny Cash fan over here, Folsom mm-hmm. Prison. Yeah. Like, I'll listen to Folsom Prison live more than I will Folsom Prison, the original recording. Mm-hmm. And because there's so much life and depth in it, and every single time you may hear some random dude in the audience say something, mm-hmm. or I don't know, there's so many different Someone things.
0: Someone coughs or sneezes yeah. or drops their bag on the ground. We're going
1: at right? John Cage over here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Any Anything. Yeah, almost. But the, <laughs> the audience becomes part of the performance yeah, in really, that case. Yeah. That's definitely true. Yeah, I, I love live albums for the same reason. I also like how a live album if you if you're used to listening to a recording of something then listening to a live recording of it it's almost really jarring because it sounds so different than mm-hmm. the studio version that you've listened to a bunch of times but and, and af- but after you get over that shock of like oh this is so different it allows you to really think about what the artist's creative process was and to think about what little tiny gestures or little tiny notes or flourishes were not even really like planned maybe, you know, like maybe maybe they got into the recording studio and they hadn't really planned that guitar solo. And so they kind of just played what came in the moment and they really liked it and then they haven't played it identically ever since. Yeah. And so every live show they do it slightly different and that guitar solo sounds slightly different. And you get to, Remind yourself what things are so spontaneous. Even in this record that you've heard so many times, that it seems like it's very formulaic.
1: I mean, the, the best spontaneous song I can think of is The Beach Boys' "Barbara Ann." Mm-hmm. You know uh, that they just forgot they were recording, and they just went. They are just in the room when they are like "ba ba 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 they like "ba ba ba ba," they're like, mm-hmm. like "Well, man, we're recording." That's so good. That's sounded good, and yeah. became one of their number one hits of yeah. all time. Yeah. And they just off the cusp, did that. And probably every performance after that, they added other extra stuff because mm-hmm. they never wrote it down, went to the studio. They just went exactly. off the cusp. So the first time they performed that, they're probably like, okay, what did we do? Bob, Bob, Bob. They may have you know. even
0: listened to their own recording yeah. to remember what they had yeah, done. Yeah, because they're like, I've never heard song like, off in my of life. Yeah. yeah, and and so many so many artists have a creative process like that in the studio where maybe c- certain things you plan beforehand, other things come to you in the moment. There's always a mix of planned versus spontaneous things, and uh, I think some of that can get a little lost when we listen to a recording so many times because we're used to hearing a song a very specific, very, uh, very repetitive way because we've heard it so many times, but. And that removes us a little bit from the artist in the moment who is making a lot of it up.
1: I think so, um, so when I teach students and my my teacher um, Dale Dieter would say this at the same time, um, I, he would agree with this. I think music is a very fluid thing. Mm-hmm. and I think classical music sometimes can do a disservice by being so precise mm-hmm. exactly all the time. And now now they if you're doing like opera or something and you have you know uh, you know a hundred musicians all, trying to follow you, then yes, precise is good. But sometimes if you, you know, breathe in a different place or maybe you add an extra half beat to music and stuff, it's okay, it's fine. And I think a lot of um, conservatories... Uh, Practices may be very much definitely piano you know there's yes. a piano where they slap you they're like no you didn't do it right you have to be exactly right on it on it mm-hmm. and I think music, singers a little bit more I'll do what I want but um, I think there are just some um, ideas for music where you have to be right on the mm-hmm. entire time but I think music's so fluid that when I tell Um, One practice I do with my students is like, all right, you've done this a million times, now do something different. Like Mm -hmm. add an extra half beat to this note, go through the rest, do whatever you want. And even if it says a precise marking, do something else. I mean, it's your song, it's your performance. Mm -hmm. So do something different.
0: Yeah, well, and and speaking of novelty, like, that idea that music has to be perfect when you play it like in the grand scheme of like everything in the history of time that's a pretty new idea it really didn't start to become a thing until recording technology because if you think about it as a musician when we're practicing we can't remember every single tiny detail of what we're playing When we give a performance, we can't remember every single tiny detail of what we're playing. It's only when we watch a recording that we can actually remember all those little tiny things. So in an age before that recording, you wouldn't have the expectation that you were gonna play perfectly, right? Right. You would have the expectation that you would leave the audience with an overall good impression. So the idea that everything has to be absolutely note-by-note perfect for the audience to like it, for it to be a good performance, that wasn't really that big of a deal. At least not until recording technology really started to take off and a lot of this competitiveness started to um, come into conservatory education. Now that's not to say that artists didn't try to play things the way that the composer had written it. Because if you don't, then it's not gonna sound like what the composer wants it to sound like. It's not gonna sound like the song. Uh, But there was a lot more focus on the overall experience of the audience, not necessarily Assuming that the audience is going to sit there listening for every little tiny mistake because they wouldn't have they would have been so thrilled to go get to see a musical performance that they would have just enjoyed it. And so putting on a big show, uh, making maybe maybe even making the performance very visually engaging with a lot of flourishes or, uh, you know, any anything that could make the audience excited or leave with a good impression that was more important than making sure every single note is absolutely perfect.
1: And also, yeah, and I would say, um, you know, there's a lot of composers in history that have made revisions since their uh, Mm -hmm. premiere, of their piece. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure it's this one. But um, I saw um, uh, Barbara Seville this Mm -hmm. year, and um, I I didn't know this, but um, the original performance was like a disaster. It's funny. There's a lot of famous works in history that had disaster premieres. Yes. Um, I mean, if you ever go look at, like, disaster premieres, there's certain uh, pieces that, like, um, some composer, composer's rival was paid for people to have seats, and they would hiss at mm-hmm. every time the singer yeah. came oh, on. Oh, there's bass, so much, drama. you know. And there's like, oh, um, oh, I forgot. There's like a dance piece that's really famous, like bum 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 bum. Oh, uh, Rite of Spring. Yeah. When yeah. that happened, it was so um, made people so like angry or emotional that they had a riot, like yes. in it and like fires and like all this stuff was happening. And mm-hmm. it, you, could, you could imagine, I guess, like I don't know, Harry Styles performing and all the girls being so emotional, that they they had a riot, you know. But um, there are so many uh, revisions, and also I have to think about this, since obviously there's no recording technology, how many people who love these pieces uh, saw it multiple times and actually knew differences, you know, Mm, like how many people saw, um, like, if they're like, oh yes, Mozart, yes, I've seen that exact opera 20 times. I've
0: watched it 17 times, and I know all the little tiny differences. Right, so like how many people
1: did that, because like, you know, those were the hits of the days, Mm -hmm. and, but they were the hits for like like if you're royalty you would pay musicians to play it mm-hmm. at your palace right you didn't pay for the entire opera to come to your palace right mm-hmm. so like yeah uh, at our, a musician could just be like oh i forgot let me make this up and probably people are like oh yes i remember that they probably yeah. don't remember that you know
0: but but if you don't have the access to listen to it all the time to really internalize it you know if you're just a casual listener like you're not going to notice you know that's that's absolutely a, a good point now
1: i will say i think the pre-recording um way of doing this is being a rich king and just having musician on staff uh just yeah. be like uh compose me who's a composer staff himself think, in the foot yeah. Do, who? oh uh
0: personal i think I yeah well Persil. yeah
1: there's a composer that uh, you know back in the day they would be like compose something for me once a week. And they mm-hmm. would just have, that's where a lot of like use of previous composers would work. I think um, it was Bach or Brahms that like most, like thousands of his pieces are the exact same thing. with just little flourishes.
0: Haydn, man, hide in, right are, yeah. so much music. And a lot of it is very, very formulate. Now, part of that is, part of that is because the expectation is such a huge amount of output mm. of like number of pieces you're yeah. gonna make. But part of it's also that that was like a very accepted practice of the time like you think about a lot of Mozart a lot of Mozart's music like even if you didn't recognize it if you heard it you'd know that oh, it's yeah. Mozart because it he has a very distinctive style and that style is him using a lot of the same stuff in all the music that he wrote and, uh, and and that was just a very accepted thing in the classical period the idea of this novelty and creating something totally from scratch brand new it wasn't that big of a like priority I would say during the classical era of composition and
1: for most people they were composing for wasn't really to, um... I mean they they enjoyed the music i hope but i think more of it was the uh pristine of having a court musician that could just mm-hmm. do this yes. now y- y'all heard someone stab their foot i want to clarify that so i yes. uh, was a person uh, i think it's henry Purcell. so he yeah. uh there's a composer probably Purcell, yes. who was uh, had a big walking stick and he banged to keep the beat yeah. for his well uh, and
0: that that wasn't just him that was a common practice yeah. before before there were conductors that would stand up and use a baton to conduct um the conductor of an ensemble was actually typically the composer and or also a performer in the piece. Uh, And so they would stand at the front uh, and tap their toe or tap something else. Over time, ensembles got big enough that people couldn't hear that. So instead they would tap a stick against the ground, bang a stick against the ground so that everyone could hear and keep time. And this guy-
1: Stabbed himself in the foot. He banged
0: his foot with his uh, conducting stick, essentially. And he actually died because the wound wound became septic and he passed away because of his injury. Yeah,
1: that's uh quite unfortunate. So way to go. That is the reason why we went to conductors. Obviously, just that reason. They were Part like, it, yeah. maybe a little stick is better. Yeah, you know? maybe,
0: know. maybe a little stick that everyone can see. Everyone can better. see.
1: It was probably yeah. banging that also would kind of get in the way of the music, I feel. Yeah, you know? well, if
0: you're playing something really lively, it wouldn't matter. Probably at a party too, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. But yes, that is, that is a very funny um, music history story of a tragic way someone died.
1: Well, and you know, it's uh, interesting, back to people's interpretation back then could be extreme for music Mm -hmm. so um, I'm right now reading Master and Commander Um, Mm -hmm. it's a great book series and uh, there's a movie of it with Russell Crowe and Mm -hmm. it's really fantastic it's just like bromance movie it's great Mm -hmm. but um, you know uh, one big part of it is he plays the violin and his doctor uh, plays the cello and they whenever time to go to port they borrow someone's like sheet music and they Mm -hmm. learn it and they're just playing on the ship while they're sailing and then into battle and they go back and it's like no People who could afford, obviously, instruments at the time could just get copies and learn it themselves. And it's kind of a really cool idea that these people learned it. Uh, maybe they heard it once, but they learned it, and they couldn't listen again. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine being on the middle of the ship and be like, how fast does the song go? Oh, Spotify. Oh, what does the song yeah. sound like? Nothing. And they just had to, like, learn it. And, mm-hmm. it's, and these aren't musicians. Like, you know, in this case, just some Navy sailor men. Probably didn't sound the best. Or maybe you did. Who knows? Um, but just had to, like, play along and uh, would be in contact with other musicians and create music that way. That's kind Mm -hmm. of a cool way to do that. Nowadays, we're just like, before we play it, let's listen to it. Yeah. And it's like.
0: How, what is that really the same kind of discovery as opening up something brand new and having to sight read it to hear mm -hmm. what it sounds like. It is interesting. And that kind of brings me to a broader thought about like uh, music accessibility almost because, it's not really the case as much anymore that you have to have a lot of formal training to become a musician Uh, because we have recording technology. Because we have recording technology and we can listen to things so much, most people can become sort of an armchair expert on music. Uh, So many people that write music critiques like for magazines don't have any formal musical training at all uh and but they can still have very um i think sophisticated opinions about what music sounds like just because they are able to listen to it so much uh and before the era of recording technology that would have been kind of impossible unless you were literally at an opera house every single night to listen to music but the vast majority of the population would never be exposed to that much music um but now There's so many people that have successful music careers or have successful uh, jobs in the music industry who have little to no formal training in music. Uh, And I think in some ways that's a really good thing because it means that people appreciate music a lot. Um, People can earn a living with music even without having to pay a lot of money to learn how to play an instrument really well. Um, I, I think that that can be a really good thing for society. But I think it can also be kind of a double-edged sword because it means that um, for a lot of people, the line between a professional and an amateur musician is really blurry yeah. because there are so many musicians that make a lot of money uh, with very little training. I think in a lot of cases in society, there's a little bit of a like devaluing of the formal music training process because so many people can become famous without it. Uh, a lot of people, think that going to school for music is a little bit silly because you don't need to go to school to study something like that. That's something that any 16 year old with TikTok can learn how to do. Uh, And people don't really know what goes into a formal music education. Um, They don't realize that it's really hard or that there's so much knowledge that is, uh, that you have to know in order to be considered um, a formally educated musician, so.
1: And I always say this when I talk to people, having an education in music Helps elongate the ability and time that you can perform music, and you can live music. Definitely for singing, you know. Um, I I think um, a lot of people can sing. I wouldn't say there's natural talent, but just just some people that because of how they live their life, they don't have bad habits and they've been able to sing in a certain way and God, luck, whatever it may be, they just sound good. Mm -hmm. But um, there are some wonderful singers in the pop music world that um, at 19, 20 could push it and belt it and stuff and they made millions of dollars. Grammy's, great, that's wonderful, but now like at 30 and 40, they can't sing anymore. Mm -hmm. Or uh, there are many famous singers, uh, Adele, Justin Bieber and stuff, who've had nodes and different stuff like that Mm -hmm. because they didn't have the proper training. Now don't get me wrong, great entertainers, I love Adele, I even think Justin has grown into a wonderful musician. They're great, but they didn't have the training. And because of that, they may find it hard to grow up and keep singing. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you have um, a training in the arts, you have a, a way of preserving your instrument, definitely for voice since it's an organic instrument. Uh, because of that, you may be able to sing into your 80s. And even mm-hmm. though at 80, you're not gonna be belting out like you were at 25, but um, it's a great way to make sure that music is a lifelong thing. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, when, when they fa- see someone get a degree in music, they think of it as like a med degree or like a career degree where you're like, oh, you know, if you go to become a doctor, you're going to be a doctor until you retire. And then you retire and then you're done with doctoring. You're done, right? Whereas I think music is just such a it's a fluid part of life. Mm-hmm. And so when you get a degree in it, you're just accepting uh, the joy of being able to perform music at a high level. Um, class, in a way, uh, for the rest of your life. And you have the ability just to have a joyous... We have a joyous ability where we can have music. We're not in a cubicle every single minute of every day. And we get to enjoy a lot of the beauties of life. And we get to bring joy into people's lives. And we get to bring out emotion. You know, um, you know, I have a lot of tax friends. Good, That's great. But mm-hmm. most people, when they talk to their tax person, they're not the happiest, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's fine. And they get make good money. But we get to bring out so much emotion and joy and sad and sorrow and all the stuff that for the rest of our life we get to have yeah
0: and and pursuing a career in music is very attractive to a lot of people because music brings so much joy to our lives and i think that that's a great reason to choose to become a musician um but at the same time it is also really hard to make a living as a musician especially if you want to be a performer and not do anything else that's musical um and and to me i think like a lot of the value of getting a music degree you still keep even if you don't get a job in music. Because so much of the value of getting a music degree is learning more about this thing you love and it makes you love it even more because the more you learn about it the more excited you are about it it's almost like falling in love with a person uh when you when you fall in love with a person you love them the way they are but everything you discover about them all the new ways that they grow and change and the more you learn about them it just makes you love them even more because you feel like you understand them better you understand you know the time you've spent together is is exciting to you and you have so many good memories like so much of that is exactly the same when we're talking about studying music long term especially in an academic environment or a formal training environment the more i learn about music the more i love it and the more i find it rewarding and that's the case even if i can't earn a living as a musician uh even if i decide that i want to have a career that's something else even when i come home i still have that love and kind of relationship with music um, that I get to keep enjoying for the rest of my life because I am studying that way.
1: Um, Being a musician is more, I think, um, like say to bring the doctor. Being a doctor is a job. Mm-hmm. Um, being a musician is a way of life mm-hmm. in a kind of yeah. way, you know, and so that's the beauty of it. And also I would say in today's modern world, I think it, this is the best time and the easiest time to make money as a musician because yeah. you can hustle a lot nowadays. Mm-hmm. You have, whether you have a website, YouTubes, uh, uh, talking to gigs and parties and getting mm-hmm. out there and meeting people. I mean, I think th- this is the easiest time up to date that musicians can actually make mm-hmm. music because there's so many platforms to get yourself out there Mm -hmm. and it does and I think most people are just obsessed with like I'm gonna win a Grammy at 20 Mm -hmm, but like that you could have you know multiple gigs in one week and make you know more money than some people see an entire month mm-hmm. you know and they yeah. there do you if you hustle enough you literally can be rolling in the dough if you wanted to and that just mm-hmm. takes so much hustling and how much people you connect yeah. to how nice you are to people um always say you know my name is this and i do this and give your card out have cards all this and mm-hmm. if you hustle you can really make a lot and i think a lot of people don't think about that yeah because yeah. i think music there are a lot of people who just say i'm going to do music without thinking what that entails mm-hmm. they just enjoy the, the fun parts of music mm-hmm. and then once they go into the real world they're like oh this is harder than i thought mm-hmm. and then i think there's a lot of musicians who have music degree that are like that mm-hmm. and that's what people see yeah. and then they see them be like oh well you know my my nephew uh he didn't really do anything with it mm-hmm. he's like sleeping on my his my sister's couch yeah. and he didn't really do much and that's because they just aren't created of they haven't thought of all the ways they can hustle. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. there are many musicians that'd be like, oh, I'm doing great. Like I have five gigs this week, weddings, uh, funerals, uh, marriage, whatever it may be, parties, you know, whatever I'm here mm-hmm. and there, yeah. and they're doing great.
0: Yeah, well, and and we talked uh, last week on the podcast about what it takes to have a career in music, the different things that you can do to get your name out there, um, gigs you can try to play, that kind of thing, and, and um, I think, I think the mistake a lot of people make is they, they confuse fame with career because, yeah, if you're a really famous musician, then you're totally making enough money that you can live on it. But there's a huge, huge number of people that are professional musicians who make their entire living doing music that you have never heard of. The majority of musicians that make their living doing music, you haven't heard of them because you actually don't have to be that famous to make a living playing music. You just have to play at a lot of small gigs that pay you a lot. Uh, You know, like you're never gonna get famous playing at weddings unless you, you know, are someone that happens to play weddings and is famous doing other things, right? but you can easily make a living playing weddings if you play enough weddings.
1: And think about that, like what other career can you do, you do that? Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, if you, uh, there are many wonderful careers out there, but like, you know, you do any, any other career in the world, you're not gonna become like famous or off or of mm-hmm. whatever. Well, so why do people put music at such a higher standard? Yes, if you yes. can just live your life and make a great living mm-hmm. and career and enjoy what you yeah. do, have the serotonin of performing every mm-hmm, single night, yeah. meet people, you know? It's a a lot of fun. Oh, and one thing, as a musician, you get to go into a lot of cool events. You get to meet a lot of cool people. Yes, Uh, That's one thing I think that most... Um, musicians. I mean, we were, we've been in choirs where we got to do things mm-hmm. with uh, presidents and famous yeah, people. Yeah, we got,
0: we got to meet some really famous people, be in the same room as some really famous people. Yeah. Even, even as kids, because we were in yeah. children's courts together.
1: And um, I would just say, um, and then like I, when I grew up, I was just like, that wasn't normal, was it? Yeah, like, that was you just, cool. You, that was, but like, you think it's normal because you're a kid and you grow up and stuff, but I like, we've both been able to do things in our, before we're 25 that, um, that like most people be like oh my gosh you got to do that I never would have thought that you know I had a student the other day that had read my bio on the website and I was like you're too young to be able to do that and I was like no I didn't think I was Mm -hmm. I just I've been able to do that I just did it yeah Yeah,
0: it's so much of that kind of stuff is right place right time and musicians are just often in the right place at the right time for that kind of stuff it just often happens um, especially when you are really putting your name out there and, and people know you and people, ca- people think of you when they think of someone they want to hire uh, to play music. And
1: everyone needs music at events. Mm-hmm. You know, no one wants a boring event. Yeah. So.
0: Well, yeah. And that's kind of back to uh, what we were talking about with like musical sort of saturation of society because recordings are so available. Uh, anytime anyone's having a live event, they want there to be music there. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they're not hiring a band, you can bet they're gonna play music over a loudspeaker because people just expect there to be music all the time, everywhere. And, uh, and so for a lot of um, these sort of, I guess, maybe like entry level, Gigs You could call them entry level gigs where you can really be just like any person off the street and you can get hired to do them like playing at restaurants, for instance. So many restaurants, even if they don't specifically have, even if they don't advertise that they have bands there, most restaurants, if you say, hey, my name is yada yada and I play guitar and I was wondering if you would mind if I have a stool and sit in the corner of your restaurant and play a little bit and just put out a tip jar. Would you be OK with that? most restaurants are like yeah totally we would love to have you here and if any of them complain they'll usually say either oh we already have another band playing that night or they'll say oh we don't like that instrument our vibe at this restaurant is a little different can you play x can you play something else like oh we don't really we're not really an acoustic guitar kind of place but can you play electric or we're not really an electric guitar kind of place but can you play the keyboard or can you play the acoustic guitar do you sing at all you know those are the kinds of questions you'll get asked so uh now they might not pay you but if you put out a tip jar and you're doing what you love people might give you some money you know and that's how you can build up that name and build up that reputation um because who knows maybe that restaurant will decide to pay you eventually or maybe if another restaurant calls them and says hey we need a live band has anyone played there that you really liked?" they'll say well we don't have live bands but this guy comes in and he's really good so yeah hire him
1: Also, I think it's just, I mean, it's just cool also just to be able to get paid for just doing something fun like that mm-hmm. you know yeah. I mean I love singing it's fun you know and, um we have a jazz band here and I mean when we just did an event that I thought it was fun mm-hmm. and we just had a blast and I sing yeah. those songs normally in the car so why not get paid for it yeah, you know exactly
0: exactly we had so much fun playing for this rehearsal dinner a couple of weeks ago and it was at this really nice hotel that I would never have gone to if we didn't have a gig there and we got to appreciate the view and uh, get a Diet Coke from the bar and <laughs> we had we had just a blast playing that gig it was really really fun fun yeah and
1: and also um, I have another uh, side gig that I do a lot of parties for and I will say most of the time they always pick live bands I -hmm. and I think uh, back to the novelty thing I even though we have like um, lot recordings nowadays there's just something people love live music Mm -hmm. and you know um, it's that kind of ties in what we're talking about to what we're talking about now is that every single night I see a different band up there and there's you know uh, maybe a band leader uh, two trumpets uh, a drummer and then like uh, two girls uh, who are singing uh, harmonies and stuff and they just rock every time and they're Mm -hmm. just playing songs here on the radio but there's something about listening to Bruno Mars from another guy live with live instruments it's just cool and I love Bruno and I listen to him in the car but hearing someone else do it live with the speakers and it's having a fun time there's something different about it. Yeah
0: it's it's thrilling. It's exciting. And for a lot of people, that live music experience is still a novelty. Mm-hmm. It's not every day like listening to a recorded piece of music is. And so that's why for me, like, there's no way that recording is ever going to make live performances obsolete. Yeah, Because that energy that you get in the room, that spontaneity, the all the things that happen that will never happen again because it's it's one performance, one time. You can never replace that with a recording. Even though I love listening to recorded music and I think it's great that we have that ability, it will never replace live music. Yeah. I think. So, so yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for coming along with us on our journey today, talking about novelty in music. I think we still have a lot more to unpack. So we'll probably do novelty part two next week. Uh, we did. We did. Um, challenge part 1 we did challenge part 2 more challenging so now we're doing novelty part 1 and then next week we'll do what novelty 2
1: sure
0: uh what's what's a good sequel name uh, novelty uh, 2
1: novelty strikes back to novel uh, yeah no. novelty strikes back yeah, there i like you go. it that's we can that's do
0: novelty strikes back yeah,
1: i'll bring, bring uh, a Vader helmet yeah uh, that would be uh, awesome. yeah. do the uh,
0: like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks for being our co host today, having me Griffin. On. Thank you. Uh, this has been The Broadcast with your host, Emily Beatty McMullen, and our fantastic co host, Mr. Griffin Camacho. If you want a lesson with either of us or any of the other instructors at Robin Steele Studio, go ahead and sign up for a lesson today at robinsteel.com. Your first one is free. What have you got to lose? Go sign up. Go do it. You can You can join the world of music, you can dip a toe into it. Just do it. You got nothing And you may lose. just like it. You may just like it. So what what have you got to what have you got to lose? Go ahead. What are you waiting for?
1: Like do it now. Like right now. Right now.
0: <laughs> All right. Bye. See you All guys right. next week.